The following podcast contains explicit language. We are sending an armada, very powerful. He, quote, realized it's not so easy. I mean, you never know, do you? You never know. Is that... We have submarines, very powerful. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about the man whose prime directive is a twist on Google's Don't Be Evil. That's because this just in, it's Do Be Evil. Support Bill O'Reilly. Menace and goad North Korea. Bomb an Afghan village. Lose a warship. And yesterday, I think he said that cherry blossoms and butterflies are for losers. And most butterflies are also fat. Okay, that last is fake news, but the rest is deadly serious. Today's topic is uncomfortable. It's identity politics. The worldview, it seems, people love to hate and love to blame. Identity politics, and particularly the politics of sexuality and gender, have been blamed for almost everything, from the splintering of the Democratic Party to the rise of white male populism to the image of lefties as coastal elites who split hairs over pronouns. Eye-rolling at the snowflake college crowd with their safe spaces, and come on, that's in quotation marks, I love a good safe space, seems to be the full-time job of many on both left and right who love to remind us that the election fell to Trump because too many girls were staring at their navels and not looking at, well, the men of Wisconsin, with their closed factories, laundry lists of resentments, and liquid oxy in their beer cans. Oh no, I'm dooming myself with these caricatures. In fact, I feel I should atone in advance for even talking about identity politics. But we must. And before we go on, a few announcements here from the Trumpcast team. First, Trumpcast will be having a live show at Tribeca Film Festival on April 30th at 8.15. Tickets are available right now at slate.com slash live. So grab them and come in and heckle me, Jacob Weisberg, and Jamel Bowie as we discuss Trump's first 100 days. Also, the Trumpcast Book Club is coming up in the next week or so, so be sure to get your hands on a copy of Herman Melville's Confidence Man and join Jacob for a conversation later this month. My guest today to talk about identity politics is Parker Malloy, a writer at Upworthy who's also contributed to Rolling Stone, Huffington Post, Salon, and The Advocate. She's a frequent and incisive contributor also to that sprawling collaborative magazine known as Twitter. Welcome, Parker. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I want to just like blunder right into a delicate matter, which is the question of did the LGBTQ conversations during the election and on the left cost Hillary the election? No. In a word, no. Um, one thing that I find kind of interesting about the the conversation that, you know, we, we saw in the in the wake of the election, there were these editorials that were popping up in, uh, you know, New York Times and, you know, other other places that were talking about how we need to abandon identity politics and we need to fo- abandon social issues and these things as though these are, these are, you know, small boutique type issues. But the truth is that, you know, LGBT issues weren't really discussed a lot during the campaign. I mean, it's it's not as though Hillary Clinton went out and did a an hour-long rally where she talked not, about nothing but bathrooms. Like, that didn't happen. 
um, she went out and she talked about jobs and she ran ads talking about these things. And maybe the issue was focusing too much on Trump as a destructive force on his own um, and not on her policy positions. But I don't think there's any real evidence that it had anything to do with, you know, talking about LGBT issues or uh, race. Um, or identity politics, simply identity yeah. politics. So, um, but this is clearly a case made, uh, the way that you see the case made by Trumpites is, um, as someone said on my Facebook page, better Trump bring nuclear winter than that we get more initials in LGBTQ. <laughs> And I just thought, like, really, well, I hope that it is a great relief and comfort to you that the initials seem to be capped at five or four in LGBTQ, because uh, I don't know how that's going to help in the bomb shelter, but um, it must mean something. Certainly, Trumpites were furious and loved to evoke as part of their snowflake rhetoric this absolute contempt for identity politics, especially around not race so much as sexuality and gender. Uh, yeah, and and I, I mean, I think the I think the issue is that those are people whose votes you're not. You know, Hillary Clinton had no chance of getting anyway, um, unless the Democratic Party completely abandoned, you know, trans issues and you know, uh, gay rights and stuff like that. Unless they completely threw threw these issues under the bus or just reduced it down to nothing but talking points. That, you know, I'm picturing. Trump holding a uh, ridiculous, uh, you know, flag that had the Sharpie writing LGBTs for Trump, uh, you know, <laughs> where it's like it, do it doesn't mean anything, but it's just kind of like, a hey, look, I acknowledged you. You know, there were so many of the, those posts where it was like during Trump's acceptance speech at the at the convention when he he said LGBTQ, you know, he, he kind of stumbled on that. But there were posts that came out the day, in the days that followed that were asking essentially, okay, well, hey, he acknowledged you. Isn't that good enough? No. Yeah. <laughs> as, as we can see from the actions that he's actually taking as president, no, simply saying something doesn't, doesn't actually equal policy that helps us. But you can't, like, I, I don't think that we could, I don't think that the right path for uh, the Democratic Party or for progressives is to abandon these issues that get lumped into identity politics, because so many of them have, uh, you know, an impact that goes far beyond just that group, you know, hearing, being able to use the bathroom or something. You know, we talk about trans, you know, trans people having protections that allow them to use the bathroom as being a big controversial thing. And it might seem kind of ridiculous. You, you look at this and you go, oh, it's just a bathroom. Isn't it kind of absurd that we're focusing on bathrooms all this much? Yes, it is. But the reason that it's absurd is that when you tell trans people that they might be arrested for walking into a bathroom or that they might be denied access to any bathroom or fired for being trans or denied housing for being trans, you're not just telling them they can't use the bathroom. You're telling them that they are not welcome in in society as a whole. So while it looks like a boutique issue, while it looks like a small issue that doesn't matter, the Democrats are doing what they can. They're doing the bare minimum, which is good. Mm -hmm. I think if we take a, step, take a step back on that and say, 
hey, who are we to say that we should, you know, fight for the rights of this group or that group, then that's, we're, we're caving to the center, which I find really interesting when we look at the conversation happening on the left, there, there's a push on, from people on the left who are saying abandon identity politics, you know, focus on economic issues. Well, these are all economic issues. Gender is an economic issue. Abortion is an economic issue. You know, we, we can't, we can't really pick and choose if we want to move left. If it also seems like there are certain words like like economics that are proxies for other things. So, for instance, when the Bernie Sanders crowd refers to economic issues, they almost always mean the white male working class, which yeah. it, you know interests me because that's a minority of the popul- of the working people of this country, all of whom are affected by economic policies. We had a great article uh, yesterday um, by Trumpcast's own Jamal Bowie about retail workers who are considered working uh, working class by the numbers. They make the same minimum wage that um, workers in other industries make. And they also make up a, a bigger piece of the pie of the working class. And their industries are shrinking on par, certainly with coal. But these people are often of color, women, gay. And in that way, they are not somehow part of the, quote, economic issues that are at the heart of this supposed new left that corrects for the alleged mistakes of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Right. Which, yeah, that, that I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's interesting how, how in all of these situations, anytime we're, we're trying to be blind to you know, identity issues or identity politics or social issues. It just happens to be where we always go back and recenter white people. You know, you know, it's kind of weird how that works. You, we, we go back and we center white, straight, cisgender people, you know, living in the Midwest, all have been, you know, 57 years old, laid off at the mill. You know, there's this narrative that's very specific narrative of what a real American is. And I feel like in these efforts, to, you know, we've got to appeal to everyone. What we're actually doing is focusing on appealing to that average American that isn't the average American, you know, the straight, white, Midwestern, you know, hardworking type. Uh, and, and I feel like that gets us away from, you know, a larger message, you know, on economic issues. It What what this, you know, this this push to embrace populism, Trump Trump style populism, uh, Bernie style populism kind of takes us away from that push to the left. And that's, uh, you know, I find that really, you know, I, I find that really troubling because it, it's hard to offer a critique that doesn't fly back into into this accusation that I'm being a centrist when I'm saying we should go further left. Or, you know, I see that happen to people online all the time. You know, there's it's it's kind of gotten to the point where you can't you can't say anything critical about you know that certain uh, junior senator from Vermont without uh, <laughs> with without your your Twitter mentions turning into just a nuclear wasteland, which is what the country might become. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but fortunately, no more letters, no more letters in LGBTQ. It will uh, hold on to that during our when we have our radiation stores. Um, is uh, you and I are 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 um, fairly regular participants in Twitter conversations that do nudge up to some of these 
sensitive issues um, around the future of, of the left. And I think right now, it's too recently for either of us to have read cover to cover Shattered, the new book by Jonathan Allen and Amy Parnes. But it is definitely, as they say, blowing up Twitter. The conversation about, as they say, Hillary's campaign was so spirit crushing that her aides sh- uh, shorthanded the feeling of impending doom with a simple mantra quote, we're not allowed to have nice things. So the, the uh, you know, Twitter has bounced back with many photos and reports from people in the campaign that this is a misrepresentation of it. But I think the idea that something was wrong with Clinton's campaign and something was wrong with it partly because it pandered to it neglected to pay attention to Wisconsin. It neglected to pay attention to, quote, economic issues, meaning mill jobs lost, coal mines closing. I, I wonder where you stand on that. I mean, you've been op- you're you're openly identified with the identity politics that gets such a bad rap right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 tricky uh, because if if I speak out on because I'm so I'm trans and if I speak out on trans issues, it's not seen as coming from this neutral, objective type place. It's seen as me looking out for my own self-interest, which in a way, of course it is, but it's odd that we don't look at, you know, um, just your, the mill worker uh, who's been laid off as having a skewed, unobjective view of their job. Everyone, no one is objective. Everyone has their own biases. Everyone speaks for their own self-interest. The interesting thing about from what from what I've read about that book, from what I've read the um, you know and seen the responses, it seems like it kind of confirms everyone everyone who disliked the Clinton campaign or said it was a failure from the start uh, will find something they can latch onto and say, "See, this is what she did wrong." But to what extent all that is true, I, neither of us know. And it's not to say that the campaign is without without flaws. But however, I don't think that the issue was a matter of policy, which I think we need to try to separate that. It's the policy was fine. The policy was great. I tried this a while back when when the Republicans were pushing the American Health Care Act. I went to Hillary Clinton's campaign website, which is still up, and I took the I took all the information that was that she put under health care reform. And I was like, these are some good ideas that we should we should push for now. And I saw people from across you know, Bernie supporters, Hillary supporters, like retweeting it saying, yeah, this is a great idea. And then I followed that up by saying, you don't really want to know where I got this from, you know, <laughs> and then I've, I eventually shared it, but it's there, there, there are sort of these blinders that go on there. And when people actually read the policies that Hillary Clinton was put putting out there, you know, not some, not what she said 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and not, you know, what you think she might do, but what she actually ran on, it was, it was a very, it was a progressive platform. It wasn't perfect by any means, but the policy was fine. The salesmanship, that is what might have been off. You know, and you could say, well, she should have gone to Wisconsin. Sure, that's different. That's fine. But when it, when it, comes, to, when it comes to saying that the solution, based on no evidence, is to try to push these smaller groups of people, you know, trans people or gay people, uh, you know, to try to push them out of the conversation completely, I find that to be disingenuous because it's not it's not based on any data in North Carolina. The sole reason that their governor lost really comes down to the fact that, you know, he pushed this really awful 
anti-trans, anti-LGBT law, and he supported it. And people of North Carolina were saying, that's not cool. And now after the election, they wound up replacing it with something that's almost just as bad. But still, the point is that that was the one state where identity politics, specifically LGBTQ identity politics, were front and center. And the Republican candidate lost. So, and the Democratic candidate ran on repealing that bill. So, I mean, this is one of those things where I don't see how that translates. You know, that's a state that Trump won. You know, I don't see how how this feeds a larger narrative that identity politics are somehow poisonous. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that two sort of interesting issues is are at play here. One of them is one of those is reminds me of what of Hillary's major epigram, which is um, that women's rights are human rights, which, you know, on the face of it doesn't sound that exciting. But of course, you know, trans economics are economics. LGBTQ economics are economics, every bit as the the slightly arcane, frankly, economics of of coal miners. So it might be that the identity politics belongs to or the the more precise issues belong to the other side. And in Wisconsin, they might have needed some attention. But to say on the left for uh, the Bernie Sanders types that this is these are like to universalize from the experience of a very regional experience of Wisconsin, uh, you know, unemployed man that might have worked in the labor movement during the labor movement, but it doesn't. It doesn't, as you say, work now. So that's the first one. The second one that interests me, and we need to wrap up. But the second one is that the bathroom issue is also, in a weird way, contextualized by the right. That there's sort of a nice shock factor in finding the thing that will make you most squeamish. I remember when Ger- Geraldine Ferraro was running with Walter Mondale as, as his vice presidential candidate, and there was a question, a long conversation about what would happen if she was a heartbeat away from the pregnancy and she went, quote, on the rag. Wouldn't she bomb Russia because she got her period? And there was so much worry about that. Of course, now we have a male president who seems to be consistently on the rag. I really worry about his hormonal fluctuations vis-a-vis nuclear war. But um, that conversation was the one that somehow got people involved. And the bathroom thing has always been this kind of red herring and proxy just for ordinary homophobia. Yeah. and Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's an argument that goes back decades. You know, the the argument that, you know, there were these old PSAs that were just like, stay away from, you know, bathrooms, gay people go in there and they, uh, they'll attack your child. And that's why we need to discriminate against gay people. And that was horrible and terrible. And now that argument has been brought to, you know, specifically target trans people. And the, the real issue is, it was after the Supreme Court's decision about marriage equality that a lot of the groups that had been focusing so much on fighting marriage equality, realized that that is not a fight they can win anymore. So they turn their focus to bathrooms. That's why you have organizations like the National Organization for Marriage and, you know, a lot of these other right-wing groups that had been previously fighting to restrict marriage issues. They've recently taken aim at trans issues specifically and attacking trans people and fighting back that way. So, I mean, that's why there's been all this issue. It's not that Democrats have been pushing this, you know, pushing things uh, as fast as many trans people would like them to. It's that Republicans have taken this this action and started an all-out assault on trans rights 
to where Democrats then have to decide whether they want to stand up for them or not. So they're being, they're being put in a defensive position. And the, the only option is to let Republicans just tr- trample trans people, you know, or to stand up for them and then get accused of, you know, prioritizing identity politics over anything else. Well, this has been fascinating. I, in some ways, wish wish we disagreed more, but I <laughs> hope that this has been a corrective. I, I haven't yet seen an editorial that, you know, definitively says an identity politics did not create Trump. But that's what we're saying here now, in case that got lost as the message. Identity politics did not create Trump. Thank you very, very much for being here, Parker. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Lichtai. June Thomas is the managing producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. And John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.